Well, kia ora tato. In this podcast, I am talking with the amazing Meg Nellis. Meg has dedicated her life to promoting well-being amongst young people in particular uh, in the city of Ōtutahi Christchurch, but she's also working at the national level, sitting on boards and, and consulting with various people. Um, and I, I wanted to talk to Meg not just because she has degrees and she has a, a job that is focused on this, but because of the role that she takes in promoting a really difficult space, trying to destigmatize well-being but not glorify it, trying to work with young people who are struggling with just being young but also dealing with the trauma of growing up in a city that's been affected by earthquakes and mosque shootings and the like. Um, so all these elements of destigmatization, trying to breakthrough in an authentic way we we kind of touch on in this discussion. Uh, I should say that um, Meg does draw on her own experiences of mental well-being and mental illness uh, and so this is a trigger warning for people who have suffered with anxiety, depression, eating disorders in that we do touch on these, we don't go into depth about this but it is worth noting before we get into it. All right, hope you enjoy and if you've got any questions that you'd like me to ask Meg or other people in the future just let me know. Kia ora. So kia ora koto. thank you for coming back. As you know, my name is Akant, and today I am talking with the amazing Meg Nellis. Um, Meg is a student advisor for well-being at Arda Institute of Canterbury, and in this role she takes the very best of her experiences in academia in the professional world and her own personal experiences and tries to weave them together to bring together some sort of um, support for students but also support for the systems that go around the students and the staff here at ARA. Uh, in other roles she has also taken a strong advocacy and leadership role in the area of well-being and health uh, with Pegasus Health, with the University of Canterbury, with the Universities New Zealand uh, and she's an outspoken, open and authentic rangatira in the well-being space and it's my pleasure to speak to her today not just about well-being and health in general but how do we promote this stuff how do we how do we cut through all the noise and the mess in this space uh, it's an area that i do research in but luckily i don't have to be on the front line which is kind of a weird thing to say but i can imagine it's difficult to be on the front line doing this at the same time you're trying to uh, find the best way forward for the people you're supporting so it is my pleasure to introduce meg so kia ora meg Thank you so much. I want that script and just have that as my profile and my introduction to everything because that was beautifully written and encapsulates everything so well. I so think I you. stole most of it from your own LinkedIn profile. So, I mean, you've done most of it. Maybe I've kind of marketing it, it a little bit. I loved it. Yeah. But thank you so much for Here having for me on. Here for the flip. Yeah. Um, as always, I want to start with a bit of phenomenon. I want to get to know you and I want uh, our listeners to get to know you as a person. So tell us a little bit more about you and what has kind of drawn you to this place in your life and, and this work in particular, I guess. Yeah. Um, so you touched on it really well in that intro. So, um, my name is Meg, pronouns she and her, um, and work here at Ara doing wellbeing. And sort of came to this journey, initially when I was at high school, I really wanted to do be a doctor and work in psychiatry and be at that face of mental health and wellbeing. Don't know why, always had a real draw towards the mind mm. and how it works, um, even before I got ill myself. That's fantastic, because that's a connection for us. I never wanted to do that, but my dad really wanted me to be a real doctor and be a psychiatrist. He's a psychiatrist, yeah. but, but it's, it's amazing how that sort of stuff is kind of almost inbuilt into you from a young age. Yeah, and then um, the more that I sort of interacted with our westernised uh, health system hmm. 
and interacted with psychiatrists myself, the more I was like, nah, yeah, that's not the vibe for men. That, that's not the treatment that I see working most effectively for not only me, but for everyone. So the more that I veered away from that into more of a holistic space. So I studied um, health sciences mm. and public health at UC. And then throughout my time there, got involved in a lot of equity, diversity, well-being mahi, um, both in a student advocacy role, class reps, um, and then within UC itself on advisory stuff and really enjoyed that um, and really dug into, it was awesome to be able to use my background of my own mental illness and my own mental health journey of going through depression and anxiety and my past of an eating disorder and how that impacted on my studies as well. Mm. Um, really brought an enriched um, perspective and depth into what I was studying to be able to use my academic knowledge and book essay writing to be able to mold that in to my own experience to provide a real niche um, and unique and powerful perspective on youth, young adult well-being and studying space and really found my vibe with that and know that it's something that people find really hard to grapple or understand. Mm. Um, so I've found my space, and here I am at Ara, doing just that and getting paid to advocate for well-being of all students in whatever capacity that looks like. And two years on, I'm still loving it. That's um, oh, that's that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I think you and I crossed paths for the first time when we were on some working group looking at developing a well-being strategy yeah. for UC, but exactly what you presented just now is what you presented in that room as well. This idea that my own experiences coupled with my academic knowledge, coupled with what is best practice, is how we need to go through this, especially when we're working with young people. They don't engage as well with the codified experts who have no personal experience other than studying, watching mm. others but being able to say, no, this is something I struggled with. This is something that uh, I need to go through. Yeah. And I get you. I may not be you, and I may not mm. be have the exact same experiences, but I get it. Yeah. And and they respect that a lot more. Much easier to cut through, I guess, some of the noise there. Yeah, and that, that's not diminishing um, the power and perspective that both book and academic bring and both a lived experience bring mm. as well. They're both really rich voices that need to be heard and that need to be taken into consideration but sometimes when it's solely relied upon the academic space of studying mental health and well-being or even the student voice or the learner voice or young adulthood Mm. is so much different to living it and then so much different to studying and living both at the same time um kind of makes for a really weird sandwich um (laughs) But it, it works, and to be able to bring that together in one per person, and although it's only my own experience and my own study, sure, it's it's something. But and a privilege for you to be able to use that, hopefully for the betterment of others as well. So, 100%. Real, so, so tell me what a typical day here at Arda looks like for you. Then I, I I suspect there's no typical day, but you touched on how you are working to support the students yeah. here. What does that entail? What does that yeah. role look like? Absolutely no typical day, but the one consistent thing that would be throughout them is student engagement and interaction. Mm. Uh, so I sort of summarise my jo- job whenever I introduce myself as being dealing with anything from the fun fluff mm. to the serious stuff. So fun fluff being like student chats, events, activities, yeah. health promotion, 
that real fun group engagement, um, reminding people of how to flourish, how to be well. Yeah. Um, just those really positive hallway chats, grab, grab me a coffee, um, just checking in with students. And then all the way to more of the serious stuff, so the policy things, um, serious student harms and concerns, mm. um, students in, in immense distress and tutors just not knowing what to do. Mm. Uh, and that whole spectrum and everywhere in between. Um, so one day I can rock up having plans with tutors and my colleagues about how we're planning in the wellbeing space and how we're going to take, take care of our students and their safety within departments or within ARA as a whole mm. banner. And then the next minute I can be responding to a student on the floor literally and metaphorically um, in absolute tears or not knowing where to go to or what we have and then talking to a group in half an hour's time saying, hi, this is who I am. Yeah, and being able switch. to flick that switch of adapting and engaging in the right way to each audience effectively and also authentically to myself. Because this space, well, well-being, you'll switch people off, as, well, you'll switch some people off as soon as you they, they hear that word. Hmm. Well-being, you think, okay, here we go, the fun, fluffy, kumbaya, woo-woo sort of stuff. And it's... It's trying to cut that bullshit of everyone has well-being. I don't care how you define it. I don't care how you identify. You have some form of mental health capacity that you need to take ownership of and care for it. Otherwise, shit will happen. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to have to be a part of cleaning up that mess. How about we have a chat now? Let you plant some seeds, go away, contemplate what that looks like for you and how you care for your well-being, your mental fitness, your resiliency, your your adaptability, your your mindset, mm. your game, so that your path, not only now but beyond, is so much easier mm. and has so much more skills. I mean, it just seems, it seems so difficult to get my head around the, the uh, ability you need to switch so quickly, to flick so quickly between, I really love the fun stuff, fun fluff to the serious stuff, yeah. you know, uh, to switch so quickly, to be authentic in all those spaces uh, and and to have that diverse knowledge that is needed for that individual. Because like you say, someone might hear the word well-being and switch off completely. Another person might come in and say, I need to talk about my mental health, which yeah. is usually quite stigmatized and you need to use the language that suits. I mean, how do you... Uh, I wonder if you can go into a little bit more about how you try to promote well-being, mental health, um, all that sort of stuff without pushing someone away. One of the experiences that we know of, especially when we're dealing with people who are struggling with their wellness in general, is that one thing can trigger them to go, I'm, yeah. I'm out and I'm never coming back sort of thing. Yeah. So you always have to be careful. Uh, how, do, how do you st- even start that in your I think the most one of there's a few things that are really important in this space, mm. and one is being a physical face mm. and introducing Present. yourself. Yeah, so actually having not saying here's my number or here's my email and passing that along. Like when I'm in stress or I'm in distress and I need someone, I don't want to send an email to some random and it could turn up on God knows whose address and I'll get an automatic reply. They won't even read it. Yep. They're, 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 that's not authentic, that's not genuine, and that's not sensitive. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking about all these plans for chatbots to be used yeah. and everything like that. Like, there's there's no chance this is going to help you. Efficiency, hell yeah, but personalised and centric. 
piss off. Like, have you tried talking to a chatbot? They're absolutely terrible. Like, they pop up and they, you get that ding on your computer and you're like, nah, not the time, not the time. Um, and they just don't hit the mark either. I, I literally just, just before coming in, like 10 minutes before walking in, had a message from a large organisation saying, we'd love to use some of your work. Is that okay? We'll credit you. I replied, yeah, that's absolutely fine. Automated message. Sorry, our chatbot didn't understand what you had to say. Even though a real person had messaged me, it had been forwarded onto the chatbot and I got an automated message. Now try doing that with someone, like you're saying, who's in distress. It's never going to be able to work in that space. Yeah, or you didn't hit that key keyword. Can you try another word? It's like, I'm feeling shit. What? Could you define that? Is that yeah. depressed? Is that anxious? Yeah, is that like, angry? I, I, I just want help. <laughs> um, so that is one of the first things that I do. Mm. Um, and if I can weave in my own personal story, mm. then I come across, and I think this is really important, anyone working in this space is coming across as a human. Sure. Not as a tutor, not as a person employed by other, not as or an employee, or not as a person in power and superiority. I want to be seen like a student, human to human. We all go through shit times. Um, I'm not just advocating for these services because I have to and because it's a tick box. Sure. I'm advocating them because they will either save your life, mm -hmm. they will help you along, mm. or they will make your life so much easier. And I don't know this because I have used them myself. And by talking about this openly to you, talking frankly about my experiences, know that at least you have one safe person to go to mm. if ever you want to talk about your own. Yeah, uh, man, that just the the presence you have in a, just a quarter or like that, but also the pressure you place mm. upon yourself uh, to, to do that. I, I assume some students will take you up on this. You are advocating and you know this works and that's why you yeah. do it. Um, uh, how do you take care of yourself in those situations then? I mean, how do you, how do you make sure that you do not become, this doesn't come, become all-consuming? Because I guess there are people, I know people myself who just care too much sometimes yeah. and you have to you have to comfort the carer. It's been a roller coaster ride of trial and error, um, both with myself and my own health journey, I think, made me realise that I need to have a time or a way where I just flick off. Mm -hmm. And I have to leave my stuff at the door mm. and know that I've done everything. Like, this student is not my responsibility. I'm a part of their care, but at the end of the day, they are in charge of their life, their well-being. Right. I am not responsible for any action or inaction that they take or that they do. Yeah. I provide support when I can, but I'm not a 24-7 person, sure. nor should anyone be. Yeah. And the expectation or responsibility to be that sole support provider will burn you out will burn fast. you out, and it's, it's not doing a service to the student either. No. It's a service to them, because they need to know that you are, like you say, one piece in this puzzle, you need to access the other. Yeah supports that you have yeah it's their shit and I'm not going to walk and shit everyone has their own shit sure. no matter how big or small um, I'm not here to clean it up for you I'm not here to mother you or take care of you mm. I'm not even going to tell you which way you should go sure. I will say here are some four pathways you can go down you can continue to stay where you are that's absolutely fine mm you know that that's the option that you want to pick. You can heart heart it um, and get, get some support, but never fully take ownership of your role in, 
and doing the matmahi as well. Or you can do a little digging of yourself, come to the party, meet me halfway, mm. tell me what you want and what you'd need and what support you'd like. I can have a chat and see what else we can find. Yep. And I will happily support you along that way. But know that I will never guide you. Mm. I will just give you a kick up the ass along the way. But as long as you're moving. Yeah, you're as moving, long as, as you're moving. Mo- 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 moving. Or as long as whenever you stop, you're stopping for you. Yep. That's absolutely awesome. fine. And we need those times. Yeah. You, you kind of... We've talked about it a few times, but you had this throwaway line that when you share your story and you know and you, you, you share that you have done this yourself, something that I struggle with when I'm asked to do this as well, you know, talk about it. it's it's really good, eh? Can't hear you so open about your own um, demons and things like that. I'm like, yeah, well, it's not something I, I want to be glorified. No, I want to normalize this, but I don't want people to glorify this, and that's such a hard balance. Do you find that yourself? That normalizing versus glorifying sort yeah. of thing? Yeah. It's a tricky balance because you want to advocate for awareness and destigmatization and making courageous conversations just conversations. Yeah. But sometimes in order to do so, you do need to be that ongoing voice and that ongoing advocacy role mm-hmm. and sharing that story and being that empowering person and all of that jazz. But it, it's, it's not that. It is just about providing one way of saying, it's fine. You're okay. Mm-hmm. My story is just one of many. Sure. I am just sharing it. And this is perhaps a point of connection. Yeah. As opposed to a, you know, this is what we've got in common. Yeah. This is why I'm not going to hopefully look down upon you for this. Uh, but this is not me trying to celebrate my struggles or whatever else it might be. And I think that's can be seen as hard especially from a third party perspective yeah I I never celebrate my mental illness or the fact that I I got diagnosed like that's not something Mm. that I celebrate I acknowledge that both the privilege of being able to get to the services to diagnose and then to receive the support that I did and the ways that I did I'm so appreciative of that um, and the privilege that I have in that that space and more importantly the lessons that it has taught me to be where I am today mm. but I never want to glorify I am or I was the depressed person I was the anxious person I was the anorexic person mm. I was a person who suffered from oh, that yes. and I've overcome that but I have the perspective and understanding of what that taught me yeah uh, I'm I'm super scared of how long this podcast is going to go because I think we're like up to 15 <laughs> minutes and I think I've asked one question that I had oh. planned. So, <laughs> but I think this is a good thing because it shows how freely you're able to speak about this and I think that's, especially in this area, which is still stigmatized, mm. when you think about the conversations people are having now versus what they were having 10 years ago versus 40 years ago, we have come so far. There's still so much further to go. But there's still that... People feeling that shame, that fuckama about speaking up, especially if it's something they're experiencing. It's the bum clench. <laughs> you, yeah, you'll see it in their eyes, or that you know, people will suddenly sit, sit up or look, look away as soon as you say a few words, and they're like, "Uh oh, it's coming." I've had people who've genuinely come up to me and say, "Oh, so my friend is blah blah blah. My friend is going through this," and they mm. they they project this onto a third party because it's easy for them to discuss. And then they go, oh, my friend is me. And I said, yeah, I kind of guess that. We know. We know. Yeah. It's okay. But they, but people need to find some sort yeah. of way to, to externalize mm. this, I guess. Um, so going on to the, my second question, which I had planned, was 
around this whole destigmatization area. You know, what do you think the barriers are that we're facing, or you have seen, especially in this role, working with younger people? What are the barriers to that destigmatization? What are the sort of things that you you would love to see overcome? There's quite a few things. I think with our young adult space, particularly in Otatahi, um, our young people at the moment are coming through their 17, 18, so 10, 11 years ago we had the earthquakes. They were very yeah. young. Yeah. So there's that underlying trauma that they don't know mm. that they've been impacted by. So little things that are hard at university themselves, the assignments, the pressure, the stress, will tick them off very quickly and tip them over the edge. And they have no idea why, because we haven't realized that trauma and they didn't know that that trauma was there because it just sits there bubbling away. It was just added to their pot of their unstable family, their uncertainty. Um, So that's one big concern and we're seeing that. And I Mm. know that it's not just where I work, that we're seeing it, 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 it's across the whole region. Yep. And another one would be, well, I don't need to say it, but the past few years, mm-hmm. the uncertainty that's bring and will bring as well. Um, with mosque shootings as well, we've just had trauma upon trauma. And the, these ones, although may not have directly impacted learners, they're living in that environment. Sure. And um, that's huge. I mean, if you think about the artist students today and the UC students today, or anyone that's in the trade or just starting today, they were locked down in their yeah. schools under the tables in what it was an active shooter event across the city, even mm. though it was isolated to small parts. We weren't going to take a risk on that, yeah. you know, and that sort of trauma. And then it kind of makes me think, holy shit, what's it like in America where the, this is a reality, where they have active shooter drills, where, yeah. I mean, how traumatised those kids on an ongoing basis, on a systemic basis, on a whole nation basis as well. Mm. And then you see Roe v. Wade, and then you see the impact that that has, the overflow mm-hmm. of that. You see other decisions getting made in politics, and it's these little things as we're bombarded with little updates and news announcements of some really harrowing stuff. Yep. And young people are, are very aware of the world and the news and we have increasing access to these sure. on the fly as they happen thanks technology um, and although it may not directly impact us there's still that sensitivity to it and you can't escape it no. if you're on your phone that time you see people hurting or you see injustice yeah. whether you you think you care or not it's still going to affect you in some way um, and I think going back to what you said earlier, just the, that importance of being face-to-face, mm. to be physically present, when that has been forcibly stripped from someone and they cannot be physically present because we're in lockdowns and COVID and blah, yeah, blah, 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 really blah. Hard. We've been isolated from schools. You know, the schools are still closing and opening depending on teacher availability. Um, and then still saying, oh, by the way, you need to perform as a high achieving mm. young person to get through high school and being reminded apparently that these are the best years of your life, that's gonna suck. Yeah, that's get gonna... stuffed, they were the worst years of my life. <laughs> they were awful, they were yeah. the best years of life for the people who had it good in life, I think. But yeah, um, but yeah it's it's tough. Um, and that's the external environment. That's Let right. alone you focus on the individual person and where I work, the three reasons that we see students fail is because of finances, mm. Finances are hard being an adult, let alone mm. a student betting, battling study link rent, trying to work a part-time job and then afford the fees and textbooks mm. that cost 300 bucks and weigh three kilos that you'll use for 
five hours of your life, if that. Um, then you've got Fano, which is another one, so relationships, um, or support from Fano and your fat family for your study, and then mental health. And these are all intertwined, and they are only three areas that very well overlap with each mm-hmm. other. Um, and the fact that you can't prescribe to everyone the same way to address and overcome and support their mental health or their well-being or their finances or their relationship further adds more complexity to how we address and support each individual learner mm-hmm. or student or person and then people as a collective within this community. And I guess heaped on top of that is a bunch of messages. Like you said, we're abundant information online and some of it's really good, some of it's absolute dog shit as well. Um, But within families as well, you can have the most supportive families but you'll pick up the messages or the reactions that are not helpful because that's what confirmation bias is or you're in a family that says you just need to toughen up, you know, just suck it up, my life was harder, you have no idea, blah, 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 blah. a young person internalizes that and can be very toxic, very and that festers. Absolutely. Or you see a poster or you get a reminder from your tutor, oh, reach out if you need help to this phone line. Sorry, but get fucked. Like, if I'm, if I'm stressed, if I'm at my absolute end, I'm yeah. not going to reach out to a helpline where I don't know what I'm going to get on the sure. other end or wait half an hour. And... And a bad experience on that when you're told it. it's that's you're done. Yeah, yeah. you're done. And this is and I, oh, far out, I can't even remember when this was. This must have been like five, six years ago. I gave a, a public lecture on how bad health promotion isn't just bad for that situation, mm-hmm. it ruins it for the next yeah. three or four interventions you want to bring. You stuff up once, you actually ruin it for everyone else working in that space because people go, they don't get me, they don't mm-hmm. understand me, they are just blah blah blah. Same thing with this sort of stuff. Yeah, no rebranding will replace a story on mm-hmm. an experience. Mm-hmm. Especially, again, circling right back, when you're f- experiencing trauma, when it's a particularly difficult time, mm-hmm. this is the difficulty that I know I've experienced, where your brain doesn't make sense of rational <laughs> information, so you act irrationally, you think irrationally, and that's real difficult to cut through. Emotionally charged, sure. yeah, and that means that you have a lot of strings attached to it. Yeah. Um, makes it even more power- powerful, both the good and the bad. Um, have you seen some changes in your, I mean, you've, you're, you're reasonably young in this space as well, mm-hmm. um, but have you seen changes in that short period of time on how young people are coping with their mental well-being? Even from my time from being a student hmm. five years ago to now working with students five, five years on, there's been a change. Wow. Um, mental health and well-being and being open, more open about having conversations with how we're really going hmm. has shifted a lot in the past decade, 100%, um, even in the past five. When I was at uni start studying, we were only just beginning that journey of the bums beginning to declench when that was get, getting talked about. Yeah. Um, and now we're in the stage of I'm able to have conversations when I ask how someone is going. Mm. It may take me another question to be like, are you bullshitting me or are you giving me the honest truth? Yeah. Um, but I will get it out of them yeah. um, in whatever capacity that they want or I'll get it reaffirmed that they are going okay. Um, which is awesome 
but we're also entering a stage where, as you mentioned before, like the glamorization of of being depressed or being very anxious mm. or being very stressed. And I think there's so many multitudes and complexities behind that of we're also in a culture where we're platforming stress culture or being busy, that busy culture. I'm always busy, I'm always busy, I'm always doing things. I'm stressed but it's fine, I'm stressed but it's fine. It's like, if you're stressed and you're busy, something's not right in your life and you Mm. need... That's your body telling you something. To slow down, to reflect. If you're depressed, are you just depressed or are you just... Or is there an event going on in your life or is there something that you need to address? Because when you say those words and you use them in a disingenuous way, you need to be mindful of those that it's really impacting who are suffering from depression or suffering from anxiety or OCD or whatever mental illness, um, neurodiversity, Hmm. um, any struggle with their mental health or well-being, uh, the impact that that has on their ability to speak out when they need help. And that takes self-awareness, which is a completely different thing. Um, and that is, I suppose, the, the flip side of moving into a space where our young people are becoming more vocal and open about how they're feeling. It's how do we encourage the right dialogue that is safe, that is supportive of everyone. Mm. And being able to, when I pull them up on words that they use, I'm not diminishing their feelings. I'm making sure that I'm acknowledging their feelings in the right way so that I don't diminish the feelings of others. Others, yeah. And finding that balance. And finding that balance. And there's just on that, the you know, before you self-diagnose, there was a great meme I saw that said, before you self-diagnose yourself with depression, make sure you're just not surrounded by dickheads. Yeah. And, and that could just be the case. You're just in a difficult time right now and feeling overburdened, feeling numb, could be very normal in those extraordinary times. But when you feel those things in... You know, celebratory times when everything's mm. going well and you still feel that numbness then maybe there's something else yeah. kicking in and you need to reflect on that that's self-awareness like mm. you said um, in the same sort of vein what I've noticed over the last five years in particular especially with our the younger people is the way they express their mental illness or the way they talk about it is with very humorous and sometimes kind of um, derogatory ways you know like with mental health memes which are you know mocking or whatever yeah. and and it's not necessarily that they are putting down people with depression they're talking about haha look at me and my mental illness sort of thing um, and that's their way of communicating but it, like you say it's that fine balance between wait wait just it's okay to talk like that yeah. but don't diminish it and don't make it harder for someone else to talk if they really are feeling yeah. it you know? and humour can be a great way to sort of explore your own mental health status and well-being to sort of crack that with everyone else and being like I'm going to poke fun at myself and my struggles so that everyone knows that you're having a little bit of a rough time just letting you know in a comedic way rather than saying I'm suicidal on a daily basis I I think about it on a daily I'm safe I'm well but I think about it daily that can be like really really triggering for someone but when you wrap it in a meme and when you can put a little bit of a laugh and a twist with the emphasis on but I'm safe and well but this is how I experience it then you bridge that gap of being like and and this is where 
memes in particular are a great outreach tool yeah. because it can help build connections. Someone who gets the joke, but someone who can also reflect on what that joke means and the reality of it is someone who's going to be a safe person I can talk to. I, I saw one which kind of started me on this path of studying these mental health memes in particular, where someone posted, you know, reached another fitness milestone, my resting heart rate is down to 63, just another 63 to go. You know, and this, yeah. and this sort of thing is like, oh, that's quite dark. Yeah. But lots of love from the community. They're like, I feel it. I get it. Yeah. I know how tough it is, but this is funny as well. Um, but it is effectively someone talking about suicide. Yeah. And some people that are feeling that way and know that way will instantly have that connection. Yeah. And then others that won't won't will completely it. hit the mark and you might really upset them. But that yep. is the balance that you take in addressing and reaching those that need to be addressed uh-huh. at... Uh, the cost of those that make a cup of fuss of being like, did you cross a line? It's like, no, I'm actually engaging with the population that need need it yep. in ways that our fluffy blue whales that you're feeling sad posters that you see around don't. Yep. That will work for you. This is just another avenue for me to engage in a really humorous yet serious way. Yep. It's kind of like, okay, ha ha ha, I see you. Yeah. You know, and you know you can reach out if it gets serious. Mm but I'm going to laugh for now, sort of thing. Uh, But I wonder if that peer-to-peer support, as affirming as it is, someone gets you, can also be real dangerous. Yeah, I I love the genuine care that peers and friends have for each other. But it it brings me so much fear when there is the reliance Mm -hmm. or expectation underlying um, expectation that friends are each other's responsibility and that their health is their responsibility no you are you are the fluff support network to check in to encourage to remind and you are a part of their life to be able to be like have you thought about seeking professional Mm -hmm. help and that professional help is the big bit that I get concerned about that we're missing yeah and that and again the friends like you were saying at the start with your role is one part yeah. of that wider support network uh, if if that's what you need right now to lift you out of the quagmire to encourage you to get to professional help yeah. awesome but if you rely on them and that's where you stop then we're going to be in trouble right yeah that's toxic for you and that's toxic for those yeah. around you and and especially with younger people I mean yeah. I, I say younger 25 and under mm-hmm. probably even 35 and under that the guilt that they would feel if things really go south quickly. Mm-hmm. Everyone will feel it, but in particular when that support network is so strong, yeah. it's going to be so difficult to. But then in defense of them, if I'm asked or encouraged to reach out to a, a place that will support my mental health and well-being where I could get an appointment where a 50-year-old white woman or male, I don't care who it is, will sit down and I have to go through my whole life story and they are not quite aware they've got the book smarts and they may Mm. have their lived experience as well but I'm going in with the perspective of we're from completely different generations Sure. and you might be living in the environment like the same environment as me but you are not experiencing it on my level and it comes back to what we said before of one bad experience or interaction both in the present or in the past that I've had with someone in that space or someone in that power Mm. will completely 
determine whether or not I reach out to the care, the amount of care that I receive mm. and engage with, um, and what I do with that as well. Yeah. So the peer, peer support can be the easier option. And that generational gap and the peer support just highlighted to me some stats that came out from the city recently where we talk at length about New Zealand suicide rate and especially amongst young people and yeah. the tragedy that is on an international and a shame that it is, just our, the hidden shame that we have. Um, we actually have a higher suicide rate for over 85s than we do for under 25s. Yeah. And people don't talk about that at all. Uh, I think it's a combination, I'm speculating, a combination of, well, they've lived a good life, but also that's real shameful. How did you get that far? But that loneliness that our, our older generations are feeling now as medical interventions are keeping people alive, which is fantastic, mm -hmm. but when their friends have died five, ten years ago, yeah. it's tough to continue. They're it's living, they're not alive. Yeah. And it comes down to those, in New Zealand, it's loneliness and imposter syndrome. <laughs> Not enoughness or never enoughness, compounded by I don't feel connected and I'm completely isolated. Whether or not that's true, the feelings of that will then become depression or anxiety or, or seep into some mental illness or disorder yeah. that then have their own symptoms and their own consequences. Huge concern, yeah, but not surprising. Yeah, yeah, and in the last half hour, we've talked so much, and you've shared so much about all the different things that you think can help, and what you do—the the FaceTime, the combination of the the fun, fluff, and serious stuff. You know, having support networks, having a wide support network where people can take a role. We know there's no formula. We know there's no yeah. silver bullet that will fix everything. But are there things that? Like you, you, you think you wish every person you yourself knew at the age of 12, 15, 16, going into adult life, is, are there things that you would love people to take away and go, I need to work more on this? I wasn't prepared for how hard life would be. I knew life would be hard. Mm. Um, and I also knew, I wish someone told me, or we shut up about, as we said, high school or school being the best years of your life or that you'll find your forever peers like awesome if that is you yeah but also it's not going to be everyone i feel really bad i genuinely don't know how many people from high school i still catch up with yeah uh, i i, I, I don't so want that guilt about it no. either like like no <laughs> i have maybe two or three and I, part of me worries about the people whose friend group is still that yeah. maybe it's awesome but it's like there's so much more. Yeah. Where's the growth? You know, where's the yeah. development? Yeah, that's one one big thing. Um, another thing would be that voice inside your head that's saying that you're not enough. I know that pretty much everyone else to your left and your right in front of behind you is thinking the exact same thing yeah. about themselves, not about you. Yeah. Um, humans are beautifully selfish creatures, hmm. and when the moment that you realise that we are all selfish little bastards. Is so freeing that no one gives a real shit about you, and there is so much strength and power in that. Mm. And knowing that whatever I do, who cares? Who cares? Who gives a shit? Mm -hmm. If it makes me happy, if it keeps me well, I'm gonna do it. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's one of those things that we we talk at length about the people who doubt themselves and 
they, you know, the imposter syndrome and everything. Mm. I'm really worried for the people who are overconfident. I'm like, that should be classed as a mental illness because some people yeah. need to rein it in because you should not be that confident about stuff you don't know or you have no expertise mm. in because you're starting to hurt people now. Yeah. You know? And that leads on to my third, third point is check yourself. Yeah. Um, don't rely on a pill. And I say rely. Um, yeah. You can be supported by pills. You can be supported by therapies, external supports, but also check your own shit. Sure. Are you sleeping? Like it comes down and we're going into the woo-woo space, but my God, from my past experience, it makes a difference. Are you eating well? And by well, I mean, are you fueling your body and your mind? Mm. Um, are you moving? Are you getting enough sleep, sunshine? Are you surrounding yourself with good relationships? Are you having conversations and reflections in yourself? Do you know where the hell you're headed in life? Like, I don't need, need to get a five, ten-year plan and everything like that, but do you, do you see value in yourself and do you remind yourself that actually you are worth it? Yeah. and that you're good enough because every it's so much easier to look for the bad things and you'll hold on to the bad things that the world provides. Mm. It will, no matter who you are. The world will say in one way or another, check yourself. Mm. And if I have my foundations right and I'm solid in those and I know that I'm doing some work, then let others come to the party. Mm. But also know that when others come to the party, that's not a fix. Yeah. That means you just have to do more work. And that work will be worth it in the long term. You may not need it when you're 12. You may not need, need it when you're 16. But my God, you're going to need, need it when you're 30 or when you're 20. Sure. And that's the... that's And again, without using the buzzwords, that's the mental fitness sort of model. Yeah. This is about preparation. It is not about fixing. This mm. is about for when it happens, not if it happens or let's fix something now. Yeah. This Everyone's going to face stress. Everyone's going to get angry. Everyone's going to have emotions. If you don't, that in itself is a clinical problem we need to look into. But everyone's going to face tough times. Yeah. So are you ready for that and how are you going to cope with that? Yeah, and it's not just a case of getting um, to a point of being, I am well. I have well-being. <laughs> like, it's, it's not a destination, mate. It's... It's a journey, and it's not straight, yeah. and it's not um, up and down either. You're gonna, you're gonna go back and forth. You're gonna go left and right. You're gonna go on a diagonal. You're gonna hop off. You're gonna hop on. You're gonna explore one route. You're gonna go back on the other and go, oh shit, that wasn't right. Um, but there is no right way. Yeah. There is just your way and your path. And if you own that path, you do do the shit. You will fuck up, but you will learn. Do not see do not see things as failures. They're lessons, they're understandings, and they're reflections. Yeah, uh, and that that linkage between failures and identity of I have failed in this, so I must be a failure. It's just so toxic as well. But I think this comes from this just this this notion that we keep trying to tell us these are the best years of your life. Yeah. You're young, you can achieve anything. No, not no. to be honest, not everyone can. No, <laughs> is, is everyone going to be prime minister one day or quit? No, no, we don't want everyone to be prime minister. No. <laughs> you know, um, you you live in the most amazing country in the world. I'm like, it's it's okay if you're still hurting, and you live in the most amazing country yeah. in the world. It's okay if other people are hurting as well. You can still hurt, yeah. but breaking down all those sort of tropes that I think people have well-meaning. Uh, messages around them and reasons for them but they they have those second third fourth order effects that that can help hurt people and traumatize people as well yeah and it's okay if you're from an older generation and by older i mean not from the gen z's or gen um i was gonna say be careful all right yeah yeah gen x yeah yeah and i can't even say mature because i'm classed as mature now so anyone that isn't in 
the real youth space. It's okay if you don't understand fully or are not, I'm going to say, woke to, yeah. to the needs or understandings or feelings of what pe- people are going through today. Yeah. But if you have the open mind to hear and listen yeah. and at least take on some of what they're saying, hmm. that and say thank you for sharing, there is so much power. Yeah. So much. Yeah. And we don't do that enough. We look for the solutions, but sometimes the biggest solution that you see when someone pours their heart out, when they're crying to you, when you say, thank you so much for sharing with me, I like that means the world to me that you were so honest and you felt the strength and power to come to me and share your story. It's safe enough that you can do that in this space, yeah. That is sometimes all they need. Oh, look, it's a learning curve for me, myself, having having daughters and knowing that I don't know if it's a gender thing or a personality thing. Typically, my I fix things. Oh, that is a problem. Time for you to fix. Sometimes they just want you to listen. Yeah. You j- just want you to be present. I'm like, yeah, but here's some here's three ways that we can fix this. That's not what yeah. young people want. Sometimes they just want someone they can communicate with that yeah. can you can say thank you for sharing. All right, I'm going to take that one away with me as well. Um, so I always like to ask a final sort of question to wrap up. Um, and I think it's particularly pertinent with the quarter or with the conversation we've just had is what gives you hope for the future, especially in this space. Um, when you talked about not everyone needs to have a five, ten year plan, but you have to have a vision of who you want to be and where you want to go. You have to hope for something going forward. What's that with you? What gives me hope? Yeah. My, for me, what gives myself hope um, is the amount of shit that I've gone through and the amount of shit that I've overcome and done and tested and put myself through both with my mental illness and recovering or being on the recovery journey from mm. those and then taking on stupid challenges of running marathons and entering stupid events that I never thought possible when I was like, here's 400 bucks, here we go, what am I doing? But the mental strength that I gained from that and knowing that I've survived every hard day, every impossible day, every torturous day and every beautiful day as well. And the perspective that that gives me and the position that I'm in today and the openness that I have to only further enrich that, that Mm. gives me hope. And what gives me hope for everyone else is that we are becoming a more inclusive environment and I'm loving that and I'm loving seeing the embracing of that Um, I'm hopeful for it to become more safe, more inclusive, more diverse um, more empowered and I see in my work beautiful voices, powerful voices that I know are going to go on and be people that are not going to hop in our waka and keep going down the boat. They may want to be like, now stuff this river, I'm going to swim. <laughs> like, just because we've done things the same way mm. doesn't mean we have to keep on doing them. Mm. That may have worked for you and that may work for your vision of, of what we are going into. But I have plan B and you can either come with me or we can be at ends. And I love that. I love that power. And I love that there's that space for us to shake the boat, for us to rock rock things up and shake things up. Um, 
and not be met with such defiancy and harsh consequences. Yeah. Or, or judgment simply because, yeah. well, what would you know you're too young? What would you know you're this or that or the other? But uh, an understanding that this, this is okay, this, is, uh, this, this fits. And I think, again, kind of going back to the intergenerational stuff, I mean, we try our best, especially as marketers, to find the perfect solution for the target audience yeah. to say, this is going to suit you. But there are still some underlying principles in humanity and feeling like you belong, feeling like you're respected, feeling loved, I have to be universal. I don't know anyone who says, you know, I actively want to be hated by everyone. Mm -hmm. There are people who are defiant, but they draw strength from that defiance as such because that, that is part of their identity and that's how they fit in by being defiant. But you don't want people to say, actually, you don't add any value right now. You are not loved. You're not wanted. That doesn't warm people up, I guess. Yeah. Um, if there was a some words that you would love deleted from health promotion. We talked about well-being can be a turn-off for some people. Mental illness is definitely a turn-off for some people. Uh, are there some words that you purposely try to avoid when working with young people, or is it fit for the situation? I don't think it would be words. I think it would be the delivery of them. Okay. Um, or the ways in which we contextualize the words. Hmm. Read your audience. Know that when you're speaking to men, or like tradies, typically they're not going to get on with the fluffy shit. Um, so if you're saying if you're feeling down, like or talk to talk to your peers, like talk to a mate, talk to a bro, like read your audience. Um, be genuine in what you connect with, and if you say about well-being, come up with other words so that you're hitting the market for everyone. So when I when I talk about well-being, I'm like, okay, I'm going to talk about well-being, whether or not you. Like like I said earlier, if you resonate with it being your mental fitness. Um, mindfulness, um, your headspace, mm. your whole order. Like, I don't care how you identify with this thing that I'm talking about, whatever hits for you. And I think prefacing that and letting people adapt it to yep. them. I don't think anything needs to be written off of being like, that's a no-go zone, because some people love well-being or some people love wellness. Yep. Um, it's having the awareness of the words to use to your audience and also how you deliver it and convey it genuine authenticity and engagement yeah. that's the key that's the key and that 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 shows that you're you're part of that belonging group that in group mm -hmm. that you're not coming in to say this is what you need to do go and sort your shit out and now i'm going to depart from it this is a journey that you do together i know post earthquakes i made a conscious decision not to use the word resilience just because it was so overdone and i was sick of it and, and I've, I've caught myself now having to use the word, and I make a joke of it. I said, I know we all living here are sick of being told how resilient we are mm -hmm. and how resilience is important, but we do need to talk about what that means. And, and that can be the segue in to use the word, but to, to almost discredit the word, but the meaning behind it still matters. Such mixed feelings around teaching resiliency. Yeah. <laughs> it's as if you're forecasting shit's gonna hit the fan I'm gonna teach you how to be resilient for when it's gonna happen to sure. you planting those seeds I get the meaning and I get the teachings behind it but the teaching of resiliency no resiliency is something you learn from going through hardship mm. the lessons that you teach in an attempt that we're attempting to do is not teaching resiliency you don't teach it yeah you experience you unfortunately experience it and um gain skills and resiliency as a result of 
events that we're sorry that have happened to you or that you've experienced. Yeah. And this is one of the things that I, I, I know I, I said to the All Right team multiple, multiple times, that everyone has an earthquake. That earthquake yeah. could be failing a test. That could be the death of a loved one. It could be a divorce. It doesn't have to be widespread felt physical mm. moving of the ground like we had. But we need to understand that these things will be ongoing. Ho- hopefully, everyone will have an amazing life. But understandably, some people will face difficult times, and that's legitimate. Mm-hmm. And your ability to overcome that and your ability to journey through that will develop you as a person. But do you wish you would have to go through that? Absolutely not. Nobody wants to lose a loved one. You know, no one wants to be traumatized. But it is growth from that that matters yeah. as well. Let's not teach five-year-olds the skills of resiliency. Yeah. Let's teach five-year-olds how to take care of themselves. Yeah. Uh, and in saying that, going back to one of your early answers, teach them that life isn't easy, yeah. but does that have to be at five? No. That could be in part of the preparation of leaving school, mm. leaving university, whatever else it might be. Transitions, yeah. How, yeah how, do we, how do we take these life transitions? How do we develop it? I have... Love. I always love chatting with you, Meg. I Thank think you, you know that. We've we've had a few coffees. I'm like, actually, damn it, we need to we need fueling to actually feeling. I, I was a little bit early today, and I was very close to just bringing a coffee and going, no, no, I need to stop my coffee addiction as well. Um, but I really do appreciate the time you take, not just to chat here, the chats with uh, how you work across the sector as well. You are on campus at UC a lot. You're working with the Lincoln crew because you know that. This is not an ARA issue, this is a city issue, this is not just a city issue, this is a national. I saw you're on some executive groups on a national level as well, so the work that you do is so, so important. So I, I just want you to be encouraged that so many people appreciate this, but also that um, you are having an impact, and I've seen that impact in the lives of the people that you've worked with. So really appreciate you taking the time to chat. I am sure we will get you back, actually, because there will be more questions I have. Hell yeah, thank you, and thank you so much for having me on as well. It's been a hoot. Kia ora. Okay.